Welcome to the Ord Minute Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the Ord Minute Podcast where we try to make sense of the market. Um, a lot going on to try and make sense of at the moment, so a good time to have chat with a friend of the podcast, Malcolm Wood, Ord Minutes Head of Asset Allocation. Welcome back to the podcast, Mal. Thanks, Berger. Good to be here. So, uh, the RBA's just raised interest rates by 50 basis points to 0.85%. Your initial thoughts uh, and good call or, or bad call from the RBA? Yeah, so uh, the market was expecting something between 25 and 40 basis points today following last month's first rate rise, which was 25 basis points. So 50 basis points, a little more than the market expected. And uh, I guess it signals that the Reserve Bank really wants to get on with this rate normalisation strategy. And uh, that led to the negative market reaction. So we've had a rise in bond yields today across the curve. And the stock market, which is already a bit lower this morning, has uh, sold off further today. Let's step back and think about what the Reserve Bank's trying to do here. So the Australian economy has more than fully recovered from COVID. In fact, with the first quarter of GDP out a week or so ago, uh, we're 4.5% above pre-COVID levels. Um, And with that, as with other countries, we've had a pickup of inflation. So after six years or seven years of inflation below the target band, we're now, we've gone basically straight through it, underlying inflation 3.7. So the Reserve Bank has dropped the rhetoric of wages needing to be above 3% before they would start to raise rates. And they've gone back to the old um, inflation setting model, which is preemptive policy moves to um, cool the economy so that we can be confident we'll get inflation back to that target band. So this is back to the old model, if you will. So things have been brought forward um, as a consequence of that shift. In the detail of the release, uh, was there anything in terms of the component parts that the RBA is specifically trying to address with the surprise um, increase in rates? They, they, and I, I, and I agree with this. They attributed most of the rise in 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 Australian inflation to global factors. You know, we're obviously aware of the war in Ukraine, uh, the supply chain issues. Uh, they also said, though, that domestic factors have played a role, uh, be it some uh, constraints in some sectors. Um, the tight labour market and the floods. Now you would say, well, the floods are obviously temporary. Um, and now with the housing market clearly cooling, a lot of the inflation there should dissipate reasonably quickly as well. So I think that they're really looking to address those pressures early on to ensure that it doesn't get away. Now, I think there could be another uh, second part to this that wasn't in the statement, which is the new Labor government has committed or uh, suggested to the Fair Work Commission that they increase the minimum wage significantly. They didn't put a number on it, but they said uh, real wages shouldn't decline and inflation's 5.1%. So you can draw your own conclusions on that, Nick. Um, But perhaps the Reserve Bank saying it's all very well to want wage growth to be a bit higher, but 5.1% is not the answer we want. Um, so uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But there could have been a bit of a preemptive move against uh, 
uh, a jump in wages. So where does the tightening cycle go from here? And I guess the key question is how long do you think it lasts? Does this surprise move by the RBA shorten the tightening cycle in your view? Mm -hmm. So the way we've been thinking about that, uh, Nick, is to have three scenarios. So if we step back and say what's going on here, as I said, the growth recovery has been very strong. We call it a V-shaped recovery a while ago. And, uh, and inflation, the, the underlying fundamentals for the economy look very good for growth. So that's one side. Then you come to the inflation side. Inflation in Australia is a 14-year high. It's above the target band. We think most of that is those one-off factors, but nonetheless, um, it is high. Now, we think that whilst wages are moderate and money growth in Australia is high, but not as bad as, say, the United States, that that that's not too big a risk. And then you come to, well, how should they play it from here? So there's the three scenarios. The first one, which is our preferred scenario, is what I'd call gradual normalisation. And, and, and why should they gradually lift rates higher? That's about 100 basis points a year for the next couple of years and not do the 350 to 400 that the market is saying they should do. And the simple reason for that, Nick, is the amount of leverage in the household sector. So 20 years ago, household debt was 80% of income. Today, it's 186. So what that says is for the rate rise that happened in the 90s, you get two and a half times the bang for your buck today. So leverage is a lot higher. Secondly, uh, dwelling approvals have already been coming off. And the reason for that is the home builder stimulus brought forward st- spending during COVID. And there was this thing about the 2% fixed rate mortgage, which has now disappeared. Those two things have uh, have meant that dwelling approvals are already down 32%. And, it, and just in case you haven't checked the property price index, uh, Sydney and Melbourne property prices are already falling. So all of that says to us, there's no emergency here that says they have to go aggressively. Uh, 100 basis points a year should do it. Now, there is a third scenario. So we've got 100 basis points, gradual normalization, the market scenario, which would, in our view, bury the economy. And then the third one is they front load it. So it's a bit like what you said, Nick. They, they just go hard here in the short term and then sort of... Uh, say, oh, let's have a breather. That is that is a possible scenario. What that does, though, is give you the market reaction you've had today, which is the market down 1.5%. But you're still leaning to a more, you know, notwithstanding today, that a gradual gradual normalisation is is the way to go and gives us a, a soft, soft landing, for want of a better expression. Correct. So I think uh, what they should do is 25 in July and say, well, we've lift rates by 100 basis points in three months. Let's see how see what how that goes. Okay, all right. So let's see how that does go over the next uh, over the next few months. So when we last caught up, Mal, three months ago, um, you were advising um, or you were you know suggesting a careful and diligent approach um, to investments over this period. And with retrospect, that uh, appears to be an um, an apt. Um, statement, volatility is uh, in our economy and our um, investment markets. So is that still t- uh, is that still true today? Do you still think we need to be careful and diligent? What's your sort of near-term outlook for uh, the economy and I guess particularly the equity market in Australia? 
Yeah, so um, we haven't really changed our exposure to equity markets uh, in that last in that p- past three months. Uh, we still think our market doesn't look too bad. In fact, uh, today as we speak, uh, our equity market's on about a 14 PE forward earnings, uh, and that by historic standards is relatively low. Uh, so the long-term average is just under 15. So we're back in modestly cheap territory on that metric. At the same time, um, our earnings growth has been very good in the last three months. Earnings expectations are up significantly in Australia. A lot of that is to do with the commodity strength at the moment. Uh, but we think those high commodities probably persist for longer than you think. Uh, and then uh, uh, as well, the strength of the underlying economy has obviously been supported, supporting earnings expectations. And then we've been of the view that the Reserve Bank didn't have to panic like the Fed and the Bank of England and to a lesser extent the Bank of Canada, although perhaps that part of the, uh, the story has, isn't playing out quite as we expected uh, just here in the short term. So they're the reasons why we've stayed overweight Australia. We've got more cautious on the US market. We think that the challenges in the US are pretty significant. And so we remain underweight the US market. The thing that's really changed has been on the bond side. So, you know, if you uh, recall, uh, Nick, we had virtually no bonds. You know, we certainly had, we had no government bonds late last year. And uh, what's happened since then, so roll the clock back um, say 12, 18 months, Australian government bond yields were 0.8%, which was a record price. And now they're up to about 3.5%, probably a little higher today. And we think that price is in a lot of bad news in the bond market, a lot of RBA rate rises. And so we've started to buy uh, some exposure into the bond market. We're still underweight, and uh, we still think there's risks emanating from the US side of that, uh, but we think there's reasonable value starting to emerge in the Aussie bond market. So we've, uh, we've bought uh, a couple of um, uh, um, fund managers and, and funds in order to get that exposure. Okay, so we'll cover off on the asset allocation towards the end of the podcast, but just going back to a couple of things you said. So you talked about valuation, Australia looking more modest, certainly compared to the US and maybe uh, the global P as well. A bear might counter that argument and say, well, as we head into this reporting season with interest rate rises already um, biting and energy um, increases starting to bite various aspects of the economy, we actually don't know what earnings are going to be, so valuation is a bit harder to get a gauge of. How do you respond to that? Do you think that's a valid argument at this point? Yeah, I think it's it, there's probably some some uh, reasonable uh, factors associated with that argument. So there is more uncertainty here with the Reserve Bank in motion. Uh, that's definitely true. And um, reason why our overall stance here is a bit on the cautious side, that there is uncertainty here as the central banks tighten rates that their task has been made a little bit more complex by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the impact on commodity prices that that's caused. So yes, it is fair to say things are more uncertain than they were. However, this, we need to put this against some of the strengths which are definitely there. So let's take the Aussie consumer. Totally right to say you go to the petrol pr- pump and you go, whoa, um, what's that? What's going on here? But on the other side, During COVID, Australian households have saved an additional $280 billion. Um, That's a lot of money. That's 13% of GDP. 
Secondly, their saving rate is still well above where it was pre-COVID. So our saving rate in the first quarter was eleven over 11%. Back before COVID, it was more like five. And, um, and on top of all that, you've got um, the, uh, um, the wealth effect from the jump in particularly home prices, but also super balances that's happened over the last couple of years. So household sector is facing these new headwinds. No doubt, you know, some people are finding their mortgage payments are going up tomorrow and uh, they're paying more at the petrol pump, but there's these other positives. So we think it would be wrong to, to jump onto the conclusion here that Australia's going into a downturn, but certainly the Reserve Bank's taking some of that, you know, really strong growth that could have happened out of the picture. And um, you've previously been uh, quite strong in your statements about the the US and the Fed's action there. Um, do you have any sense of, of where inflation is going to, to peak if we're close to that point yet? Does it need and, and are we heading to a US recession? Mm. Um, and and how, do, how do we get and how does the Fed get um, the US out of the, out of the issues that it's in? Yeah, so um, the challenges, so we've talked about the challenges here, you sort of have to amp it up when you go to look at the US. So let's just do a quick comparison here. So we're talking about 5.1% headline inflation. The US is over eight. We're talking about 3.7% underlying inflation here. The US is at 5.8 on the same basis. So they've got a lot more inflation, which we attribute to domestic factors. So wage growth in the US, 5.2 against our 2.4. Money supply growth, driven by the the central bank, the Federal Reserve, over forty percent since COVID began. Same number in Australia is about twenty four. So you can see on metrics like that, the US looks far more overheated. What that means is the Fed's got a bigger task in order to get on top of things. And well, today our interest rates are pretty similar to theirs, right? So. They've got a big task ahead of them, uh, in our view, much bigger. And, and, and so to give you a sort of sense on what, what, do we, what do we mean by this, so let's just take the US labor market, tightest labor market in 50 years in the United States. So employment last Friday night was up 390000 for the month. That's 4.5% year on year. But you say, well, so well, what does that mean? Well, the labor force is growing, population, half a percent a year. Employment's growing four and a half. You can see you've got, a, you've got a, a bit of a problem emerging here. That's pushed the unemployment rate down to the 50-year low, 3.6%. Uh, participation's jumping back up, but they're just running out of workers. And that's driving the, the, the wages to these high levels. To get wages back to a level consistent with their 2% uh, inflation target, they need wages about three, not 5.2, about three but employment's already too strong and the unemployment rate's already too low. So to get the economy to a point where that trajectory would be happening requires no jobs growth for an extended period of time or declining jobs for a shorter period of time. That is a tough outlook. We don't have to do that here in our view. Okay. So some hard work ahead for the US market. So uh, we're managing um, portfolios from an Australian perspective. And as we always do, Mal, let's wrap up with your preferred asset allocation. So overweight Australian equities for the reasons that you've outlined. That's right. So we still think our market should continue to outperform international peers, uh, even with this surprise from the Reserve Bank. 
Uh, let's wait and see how uh, that evolves. But valuation looks more attractive. Um, the earnings outlook here looks pretty constructive in our view. So hence uh, our overweight here. Internationally, underweight the US for the mark for the reasons that you talked about, uh, Nick. We're a bit more constructive on things like emerging markets, even. Japan and Europe look very cheap at this point in time. Um, Japan and to a lesser extent, emerging markets don't need to do the rate rises that the US, UK, et cetera, need to do, which sort of makes them look relatively better. So let me just give you an example. So in emerging markets, we're trading on 11 times. The US is on about 17 and a half times. Um, China's stimulating today. The US has to do aggressive tightening. So you can sort of see... You know, there's sovereign risk in China, but you're getting compensated for some of that at this point in time. Um, and then on the fixed income side, as we said, we've been extreme underweight. Now we've reduced that to an underweight um, through uh, through some of that tactical uh, purchases in the Australian bond market. Um, uh, bond proxies like property, we're still underweight. We think that's a little bit. This is listed property. Is a little bit still still a little bit expensive. And then coming down to, um, um, well, we've reduced our cash weight as we've uh, reduced our, uh, uh, as we've increased our fixed income exposure, reduced our underweight. Uh, and, and then finally, on the currency, well, we, we still think the Aussie looks cheap as chips, so uh, we, we still hedge a bit of the, our international exposure. So I think that covers it. Okay. And uh, lastly, you mentioned there that within that underweight international equities, you're reasonably constructive on emerging market equities. Uh, as many of our listeners know, you run the, the Bailu uh, Managed uh, Portfolio uh, Series, which includes an allocation to the Fidelity Global Emerging Market Equities. And we have a podcast coming up with the lead portfolio manager, um, Amit Goel there. Uh, Mal, it's one of your recommended uh, funds in that area. Any thoughts uh, for our listeners ahead of that podcast release? Yeah, and we think that um, in the case of emerging markets, this is one where you need an active manager. Um, you know, manage, uh, assessing management, uh, their integrity, their, their capital allocation process is very important. So it's important to have an active manager. And of course, these countries are in very different uh, outlooks at this point in time. Russia doesn't look so flash. Um, you know, China's had this uh, big uh, increase in sovereign risk. Uh, so it requires somebody who's active and nimble within that. But having said that, 11 times, uh, easing policy in some of the key markets um, and fundamentally growing a lot faster than developed markets, we think uh, uh, it's worth exposure. Okay, so that's a, a podcast on emerging market equities coming up over the next few days. Mal, lots going on as usual. Surprise interest rate rise today, but still constructive on Australia in a global context. Thank you very much for your thank, time. Thanks, Nick, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to the Ord Minute Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessment about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.